welcome to Time Limit. I'm your host, Brett Harned. So on the show, we talk all about leadership, project management, and productivity. Today's episode, I think, covers all of those things in an overarching, important way. I invited Yvette Pegues on the show to dig into culture, diversity, and inclusion, and how leaders can actually work on building spaces in person or even remotely, spaces that are positive and inclusive for everyone. Yvette is a DNI executive and keynote speaker, and she's the co-founder and CEO of Your Invisible Disability Group. Their mission is to empower, equip, educate, and include individuals with disabilities. I first met Yvette at a conference I curated in London, and I was just blown away by her keynote. She's an extraordinary human doing really important work. I hope that you enjoy this conversation and maybe even pick up a thing or two. Yvette Peggy's, thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit today. How are you doing? Just wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. You know, 2020 as well as we can be doing, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you to kind of digging into a topic that I think is important to everyone, really, and that's really culture and inclusion. And I know that's a, a super wide topic, but I really kind of want to focus in on how project managers can kind of take on responsibility to build that inclusion on teams. And because we're in the middle of this pandemic, you know, so many people have been forced to work remotely. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that too. Does that all sound good? Sounds wonderful. Thanks for it. Awesome. Well, to kick it off, maybe you could just share a little bit about yourself and your passion really for setting organizations on the right path when it does come to inclusion. Absolutely. As a, I, I tell people a lot, I started out as a scientist and now I'm an activist. Uh, the scientist piece comes from being a networking and systems engineer and program manager at IBM for quite some time. The advocacy and the activism comes from suffering a brain and spinal cord injury in the middle of my engineering career. And because of what I knew and what I now know as an individual, an executive working and leading with a disability, the inclusion and the culture piece of it is so much more important. I think the culture was invisible before. It wasn't something that was prominent. But coming into the workplace with all of these intersections, right, being a woman, a woman of color, a woman of color with a disability, and a woman of color with a disability living in the COVID era where uh, culture is even more important. So for me, the importance is critical. It's mission critical. It's just as important as the products and the services that our organizations have to uh, supply and make available uh, to individuals, not just with disabilities, not just with um, uh, the need, but with all individuals um, looking to co-create and um, make the magic happens in the middle of this tragic that's happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you said that culture is kind of um, something you haven't seen. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm paraphrasing properly, but I'm I'm curious if you could kind of talk a little bit about um, more about that, like the the blindness to culture, maybe. Sure. I think culture was individualistic, uh, maybe okay. by department, um, maybe based on your role. Um, in the organization, in that hierarchical um, environment. But I don't think culture was as thick when I was in the engineering field as it is now. I think we're very conscious of it. Yeah. In, in other words, we're more intentional. I think you kind of walk into the culture that was 
as opposed to making an impact and um, being invited into a culture that can be. And I don't, I just don't think that, um, and even today in some organizations, culture is just what it is, what it has been. Sometimes it's dated, you know, sometimes it's isolating and exclusive. And I don't think anyone specifically is looking to speak to culture uh, unless, of course, that organization is intentional about diversity and inclusion. Right. Yeah, I think for me and in, in my experience, um, I, I kind of feel like the term culture, it's, it's used a lot now, right? But I yeah. think it's been blurred by some organizations. Almost like people consider things like perks and benefits to be what the culture is. Like I can remember in my experience, you know, interviewing or working in st- startups or even digital agencies and them saying things uh, were culture that were like having a beer fridge or ping pong tables, like things that are not really culture. Those are, are things that they might have and those things don't make the culture. Um, not sure if you ag- agree with that, but or maybe if you could just talk a little bit about how a culture is defined. Really good point there. As I mentioned, and I think I hear you saying culture was not intentional and mm-hmm. the understanding and um, idea of culture had to do with things and not right. people, right? And right. Um, social responsibility and just the bigger things um, that, that I believe organizations are paying a little bit more attention to. Uh, as far as culture is concerned, culture starts with the people right? Not the product or the service. Mm-hmm. And it starts from the top down, you know, it's leadership starting at the top down in the culture, especially with program and project managers, they are the culture that our resources and those that we manage under the project management umbrella look to. So I I focus a lot on belonging as far as uh, that uh, hierarchical uh, need that culture creates. Uh, But culture in itself is, is, is something that has to be intentional. It has to start with the people and only end with the product if the people creating the product and the service feel like they belong. And that's how I tie the two together. But there's several pieces in between um, belonging and actually having a culture that I think is a conversation I have with my leadership and managers. Yeah, that's an important conversation to have, right? I mean, it, obviously, culture is something that really comes from the top down, uh, right. or at least building that culture. And then to your point, it's really part of a project manager's role to kind of maintain that culture or maybe even build more of a unique team culture kind of as a, a kind of micro part of the, the larger organization culture. Does, does that make sense? It does, but I don't think it's, it's taught in our PMI courses, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody teaches that. And, and unless the organization itself almost requires it or models it, then you might not find a project manager or a program manager who's intentionally managing with culture in mind. And with culture, it requires that you know your team. Right. It's not It's not just something you bring in. It's not just a hammer uh, or a gavel that you bang on your desk. It, it, it means that you have to now align yourself with your team, who they are as people, and how they perform as professionals, because those two are absolutely tied together. Absolutely. I, I agree with that so much. And and I think the part that we're, we haven't included in this yet is this feeling of belonging and connectedness, right? And, and inclusion really is what I'm talking about. And I'm wondering, you know, 
of, of course, on the organizational level, things can be done. But I'm, I'm really interested in this personal level because like you said, project managers need to get to know their team members. They mm-hmm. need to build good relationships. But what are some of the things that you think a project manager or a team lead could do to kind of build that momentum or even build a feeling of belonging and connectedness within the That's team? That's a great question. No, no, Brett, that's a great question. Um, using conscious culture, right, and include inclusive thinking, um, which, by the way, drives innovation. I would, I would start with empathy. Um, in a conscious culture, you have to recognize empathy is different than sympathy. As someone with a disability, I get the difference. It's not about feeling bad because I have a disability, but recognizing. Um, that I'm an individual with challenges and being able to support those challenges by just recognizing them as simple as respecting the focus. We don't want to take um, what the corporate structure and needs are out of the picture. We definitely need to be hard on the problem and soft on the people, recognizing that uh, even though they intersect at some point, they are different. Inclusive AI is part of conscious culture, in my opinion, right? Including diverse set of AI creators and and the skill set that everyone is using in the area of AI because AI in and of itself can speak to different cultures and beliefs and and, um, dispositions. Another is recognizing exclusion, right? Uh, I think the corny um, statement people make is, hey, if you see something, say something. But truly, diversity without uh, inclusion is exclusion. So to ignore and to believe that there is no culture is excluding the opportunity to bring someone into uh, a, a new culture or a living, breathing culture. It's not, it's not static. Um, another area in conscious culture is uh, solving for one and extending to many. That's huge because you're moving from a single solution to an inclusive solution. I always say that if you, um, if you create for someone with a disability, then everyone else will get it. Sometimes you have to create at the level in which everybody understands, and that makes it uh, so scalable and uh, so inclusive. And um, finally, what we learn from disability, right? Avoiding avoiding diversity without inclusion um, really limits the talent that you can not just recruit, but retain. As I support these organizations and they're working on retention and recruitment, they they're so confused as to why with such a great job with great pay that they don't have as great a uh, pretension as they should. And a lot of times the first place I go is I look at their culture and I can see pretty easily and pretty quickly how there's a problem there. If you're bringing someone in from a totally different culture or country, it's great to pay them well and to make sure that everything within the building is inclusive. But sometimes as soon as they leave work, you know, they get homesick because they don't, they don't recognize their surroundings and they're not given resources outside of the place where they spend eight to 12 hours a day. And so they come back the next day with, with this, you know, sense of uh, being outside of their expertise. So with that, when we talk about culture, I have to go to something very basic um, when I talk about belonging. But before I do that, um, what are your thoughts on the uh, conscious culture leading into the sense of belonging? 
There's so much good stuff in there. Uh, one thing that I kind of, I mean, so many great points, but one thing that I kind of zeroed in on was you have to be hard on the problem, not the people. And I think that's so important. And that that's all about just leading with empathy, right? Um, that, that was really interesting to me. I, another thing that kind of came to mind while you were talking is how does that culture manifest itself? Um, <laughs> what have you seen in organizations in terms of culture, like, you know, writing down statements about culture doesn't feel really genuine to me. Um, the act of being inclusive and the act of working hard and putting the work in to do the right thing feels more important to me. But I'm wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit about how organizations are defining and kind of, I guess, maintaining and managing culture. I'm so glad you brought that up because I guess in the last six to nine months, so many missions and visions are being challenged. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I believe that in some ways, right, the mission has to be solid because that's kind of the bottom line. Um, But the vision is, can change and the vision needs to include the people in the organization. And you're right. So many people are, sharing solidarity statements, but nothing is changing, you know, behind the doors of that organization. And I really do believe that leadership have to uh, make sure that the health of their vision and the organization is uh, visited often. It's, it's, again, I think COVID and some of the uh, critical social issues that are having is a great example of how um, your mission can be the same, but your vision can be stronger and it can adapt to the organization's uh, desires to support the the country or the nation or the city that they serve. Because at the end of the day, I really love your product, but I may not like your presence on our social um, platforms or uh, your surroundings. You don't want to be a flower in the desert. You want to be able to have branches and leaves uh, that help the country and the organization and the cities that you live in. And, you know, that happens with foundations and other areas of the business, but it also happens with your organization. And to your question, get your team involved, take temperatures very regularly and, it, and you know, and communicate that it's okay not to be okay. I think companies are recognizing that remote work is not as bad a thing as they thought it was maybe a year or two ago. So the infrastructure has been built. And my hope is that it continues to be made available for those who who need it, not just those who deserve it or have worked for it. And when you talk about building a culture within an organization, it's the heartbeat of every individual um, from facilities to the vice president. And if those conversations aren't had, whether it be through constant and ongoing surveys, then really there's no way of knowing what your organization says, right? What is the voice of your organization through the individuals that work there, right? Mm -hmm. So management, what I found a lot is um, a a great example of that is um, bringing individuals with disabilities into an organization. I actually walked into an organization, uh, all puns intended, in my wheelchair. And I, you know, posed, if you will, as a new disabled employee. The first couple weeks were great. Probably by the second or third month, I would roll into a conversation at the water cooler and everyone would walk away. And what I found out later was they saw me kind of as the token. 
They saw me as kind of the company doing something good for the world. But HR (laughs) had the intention of bringing me in for diversity purposes and allowing me to use my experience to help create products for an $8 trillion industry where one out of every four individuals have a disability, whether visible or invisible. They wanted to support that population. Um, And if that was not communicated to the rest of the team, then of course they're going to think something different. And that culture was different. No one made the huge announcement that we're going to include um, differences in our organization, whether that be LGBTQ, whether that be uh, race, culture, or everything in between. No one else understood that that was a direction the company was going in, at which point they could communicate their concerns, stay, leave, or thrive. And no Hmm. one was given that choice. So in a lot of ways, although I felt horrible as a person, I didn't feel comfortable speaking to management um, that were specifically uh, managing me. Because again, this was an HR and a VP initiative. No one else really knew what was going on. But I had to uh, really speak out at the uh, executive level and the C-suite level. And they they were oblivious to what was going on because they never asked. Wow. Well, first, I'm sorry that you went through that. I'm sure it's one of many experiences you've had in in your career. Um, But that just sounds pretty ridiculous to me um, (laughs) as just a a generally caring human being um, to think that, you know, people would just ignore someone for a disability is just unbelievable. Um, And that the, the organization didn't see it happening uh, is, is disappointing to say the least, but, you know, it kind of makes me think about, that this is a very personal thing, right? Like culture isn't just about the organization. It's also about the people who make up the organization. And and I'm wondering, you know, what should we be doing as individuals to make sure that we are being inclusive or at least that we're recognizing the exclusion, like you said? Right. Well, there's architectural barriers and then there's attitudinal barriers. And most organizations are very good with looking at some of the architectural barriers, again, at the uh, largest private organization that I worked in. uh, They had some architectural barrier issues, but for the most part, recognizing and calling it out, getting the affinity groups involved. Uh, Here's a great example, and what I've done recently is If you're bringing someone in and you don't already have a BRG, a business resource group or an affinity group, uh, create one so that as you recruit individuals with differences, let those individuals that are already working there within a group that finds, uh, you know, some similarity in the disposition of someone coming in, include them, bring them into somewhere that they already feel safe and that they can have these conversations use the people and leadership in these ERGs to welcome and maybe even mentor an individual Mm -hmm. coming in with similar issues and concerns. I have had the opportunity and pleasure to help build and create business resource group and affinity groups uh, at organizations where they didn't think it would help at first. It's not just a place to have spaghetti lunches once a month, but it's also a place for advocacy and visibility and to include them in some Mm -hmm. of the corporate talks that you have not just tout them, like you said, on paper, but get involved in them, have C-level guests come in and not just to speak, but to sit back 
in a seat to learn, to grow and recognize what that part of their organization is looking like and what their needs are and just be uh, supportive of that organization and that group. But one of the best things that we've been able to do with our BRGs is to um, allow leadership to grow because if you're not growing in your profession, you can still grow within a BRG and find that leadership skill, develop it so that you can now create and find opportunities within the company. Because sometimes it takes building a leader to lead in other areas. And because it's a safe place, I know that's been one of the most um, successful ways to uh, create a culture within a culture. It's okay to have layers of culture that align and intersect with themselves. You have to first feel safe. You have to feel heard. You have to feel like you belong um, to increase an individual's commitment to working towards a common goal in synergy with others. So that's the thing I think I might have left out, but creating cultures within cultures as long as there's synergy. And creating opportunities for for individuals too, right? Opportunities for growth, not just in leadership, but growth as human beings, it sounds like. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That is that is definitely a, a benefit of yeah. those organizations and teams. Absolutely. Okay. So we've kind of mentioned the whole 2020 pandemic thing already. How can we not? It's, it is our lives. But, you know, I'm curious to hear what you've seen in terms of um, inclusivity and culture when it comes to that pivot to remote work, because so many knowledge workers were really just thrust into remote work very quickly, kind of changing the face of what the workforce looks like for a lot of people. And I'm wondering if, from your point of view, are teams being forced to to kind of be more inclusive because there's now a, a level or more of a level playing field now that we're all just online? Um, or just what have, you, what have you seen in general? Well, this perfectly leads into what we talked about where belonging is so important, mm-hmm. right? The need for esteem or recognition and being brought into project teams that optimization of performance is required for someone to have a sense of belonging. And, and, and let me just take it to another level. I don't want to get um, too psychological, but if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of need, right, we know that at the end of the day, we have basic needs, we have um, psychological needs, and we have self-fulfillment needs. I think because of COVID, because of us working remotely, we are definitely working in this pyramid-shaped um, hierarchy of our own personal needs. Uh, it's, it's. I think it's easily hidden in the workplace. But I think uh, this motivational theory of psychology um, in this five-tier model of human needs is is not always depicted in the workplace. And when we look at it now that we are um, very sensitive to mental health, we're um, sensitive to cultural inclusion, and um, we're we're very sensitive to Um, what's happening outside of the workplace for the safety of each individual who are dealing with loss, who are dealing with um, human loss, personal loss, emotional loss, and just uh, sometimes just even the loss of this, this, this life that they Mm -hmm. were used to, you know, even if it's just getting up in the morning and getting into your car and driving for an hour, as horrible as it seems while you're doing it, it's still muscle memory. So when you talk about um, the hierarchy of needs, I'll just go through that really quickly. You have the physiological needs, right? The food, the water, 
the rest, the warmth, um, and then you have under your basic needs, safety. So here we're talking about an individual in the midst of COVID and performing at their optimal level and feeling safe in a remote workplace. I think that falls into the basic needs, even though safety and security prior, prior to COVID was very physical, it was very daunting, it was very personal. But it is now uh, very much part of what everyone is feeling behind those screens, whether they're physically in the building or otherwise. And then under the psychological needs is where, you know, esteem and belonging and um, intimate relationship and friendship uh, comes in because that feeling of accomplishment may be as simple as maybe a manager uh, setting up a time for everyone to come online and, and play bingo or or do something that may not seem work-related, but gives that person a little bit of uh, ease in an otherwise really um, tense day right. and scary world. Um, and then, you know, there's self-actualization, right? Just achieving one's full potential and including creative activities. I, I just want to believe that everyone wants to go to work and do their very best but not everyone is working at the same level of struggle and same level of challenge. So um, recognizing these three major areas of basic needs, uh, psychological needs, and self-fulfillment needs means that you need cultural intelligence to, uh, to get to the next level and to make sure that the project manager in this case or this example understands the power of team belonging. Again, this is a, a micro culture within a macro work environment. So I really do believe that the team increases an in individual's commitment to working in synergy with others when they feel like they belong, when they feel like they're being heard. And, you know, social belonging has always been there, right? right. Back to that original culture uh, question. It's like, well, you know, what is culture? It's always been there but I think it's being recognized a lot more because it can present itself in different forms. Yeah. Doesn't mean, you know, doesn't mean being at the center, but part of the decision-making and implementation of whatever work product or service that's being created. Yeah, I, I agree. I, there's a, a report, I think by the McKinsey Global Institute, and, and it's not super current, but I remember reading this. It always has stood, stood out to me that a feeling of belonging or connectedness, um, when, when teams see that, or, there's a 25 to 35% increase on productivity and output because people just feel so much better. Um, so, so that absolutely makes sense. And thank you for breaking it down that way. Um, it, it, really kind of enlightening. And I think what it comes down to that we're talking about right now is, you know, leaders or managers or even project managers have to have empathy. And I think that because we are, what, nine months into this thing now, it's easy for people to just forget the COVID thing and to forget the fact that everyone is impacted by this in a different way on all of those different levels. So, so I, I really appreciate that breakdown. Just, just curious, do you have any tips that people should be taking to make sure that that's top of mind, um, you know, to, to make sure that inclusion is a part of your daily work life um, if you do need a reminder? Well, you said it best earlier, that inclusion has to start at the top. I, I believe and have communicated that belonging is is an outpouring of diversity and inclusion. You can't really have one without the other. The result of 
diversity, equity, and inclusion is belonging. Mm-hmm. And you can't feel like you belong if there's no diversity, equity, and inclusion in your workplace. So that's the beauty of knowing that those building blocks lead to um, high and effective work product. Uh, right. It, it, they intersect, right? And um, when you look at architecture with technology or human uh, humanity with social responsibility, abilities with assets, those are kind of the ingredients, if you will. And so I think a tip first would make sure that upper level management gets it. Even if you are at the bottom of the corporate totem pole, if you will, recognize and support and advocate for inclusion, much like in my case, I have to say that I was innocently ignorant to the disability community and their needs because I just didn't have any experience. So it wasn't like I was intentionally being that way. Right. But the advocacy is required from all individuals, uh, not just those with disabilities, but you have members of your team who may have family members with disabilities. So again, this comes with making sure you know who you're working with and working for. Um, recognize both cognitive and identity diversity. And I'll break that down a little bit. Cognitive diversity is more about, you know, information, uh, knowledge, uh, heuristics, maybe rules of thumb, casual models and frameworks. But then your identity diversity is race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, and physical disabilities. And when you have all of those people at the table, whether you are having a social event or whether you're having a brainstorm, that is one of the things that I highly recommend and including people who have different styles of problem solving uh, to create a unique perspective because they all think differently. And that's under the cognitive diversity column. But with identity uh, diversity, you're describing the way that individuals and groups defined themselves. And they're defined by others based on their, you know, race, ethnicity, religion, language, sometimes, and culture. So today you're looking at a one-to-one collaboration, but for diversity of thought and uh, for for true growth, there needs to be a collaboration of ideas. So that's a that's a great place to start, yeah. and where I've found a lot of a lot of inclusion and success. And from that, of course, you get individuals who are now educated in those areas of diversity. So now that you know what they are, get educated in both cognitive and identity diversity. Uh, a simple, simple response to that or a simple uh, example, if you will, is to make sure that you're doing things remotely that don't necessarily look like what you would do in the workplace. Be creative. And um, take polls, see what people want to do. Have, uh, I think I've seen a lot of uh, Zoom lunches, you know, and, right. um, and and anonymous entries of concerns, and you know, beef up your mental health and support areas within the workplace uh, because there are individuals who never even considered mental health but are living through it because of all of the uh, emotional pressure that they're feeling, whether it be at home or watching the news or just living in the country today. Right. Wow. So much to kind of pull from there, but also a a lot of good kind of just 
actionable ideas and and really just saying that you've got to pay attention to this stuff. Um, we've got to remember that we're working with people, even though we might only see them through tiny screens or screens mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. there's still people on the other, other side and we need to consider those people in all of the work that we do. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been very enlightening, very interesting. And, and I always love hearing from you. So thank you. <laughs> Likewise, you're just amazing. And I'm so excited about what you're doing and even the the way that you're doing it now. I love that you're expanding your voice and your purpose and bringing other people like myself and some of your other guests to help support technology through humanity. And I think that's the piece that we may not have made as much um, about, right? Made as much noise about before, but it's it's really important now to have emotional intelligence. And I love that technology is starting to look like, you know, the humans that create it. Yeah, me too. That That's exciting to me. And, and it's just so hopeful when you talk to somebody else who gets it, who understands that, like, <laughs> we kind of let the technology go too far. Let's take a step back and focus on each other because that's going to make the technology even better. Right. It sounds crazy to take two steps back. Uh, in order to move 10 steps forward. But hey, we're living in an upside down world. We're here. (laughs) We are in it. (laughs) Well, Yvette, thank you so much again. uh, Always good hearing from you. I really appreciate you joining Time Limit today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, there's so much information in there for you to digest. At the end of the day, I think if you're working in an organization or in a team that needs help when it comes to culture, diversity, and inclusion, you can do that work. You can be a part of that. Like Yvette said, some organizations aren't working on actively or even teaching this stuff, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn more and act on it. I know I certainly will be. I definitely think Yvette provided some great recommendations on how to get started and things that you can do. So hey, if you're interested in hearing more about Yvette, definitely check out the show notes over at teamgantcom slash podcast, or really check them out wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And while you're at it, please give us a thumbs up or even a review. And I will be back soon with another interview focused on becoming a stronger leader. Thanks so much. Thank you.